Hello, and welcome to The Librarian is In, the New York Public Library's podcast about books, culture, and what to read next. I'm Frank. And I'm Crystal. And here we are, darling. How are you? I'm good. Frank, why can I only see your eyes? Because the computer is raised high. <laughs> okay. All you need to see is my eyes, my darling. They, they they'll, they'll tell so you everything you need to know. <laughs> yes. My crazy eyes. Uh, I know it's where I'm still under construction. So I'm in a little closet under the stairs again with a little laptop that has bad audio. And I'm trying to make everything happen. But soon we shall hopefully meet in person. Very yeah, soon. Yeah, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Just remember to speak up. My stupid audio is. Oh yeah, let me bring the computer closer to me again. I know. I want to hear every delicious word you have to share with me about what you've been reading, what you've been doing, and blah blah blah. Well, <laughs> blah blah blah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've mostly just been doom scrolling because of obviously what's happening in the world right now. Um, doom scrolling. Yeah. Is that a thing? What is yeah, that? it's like you're just like scrolling through news articles of like really terrible things that are happening. And I feel like I can't stop in some ways because it's changing so quickly with like Ukraine and the invasion there. And I don't know. It's it's like a really scary time. It, it feels like. Did you freeze? No. Oh, <laughs> you were very still. Uh, oh, it was a very scary time, and I thought you were going to complete that sentence. No, that was it. it it's a very scary oh, time. I guess that's all you need to say. <laughs> I mean, I don't Yeah, know. I mean, I can go down that conversational hole, because, of course, I can think about... Um, it, well, it's, it's hard to even to remember anymore, but, like, when you would get the newspaper and read an article or a couple of articles about what's happening, and you'd get that particular newspaper's point of view as, or as the best reporting they could provide. Mm -hmm. And then you would think about it or not, and or talk to your friends about it or not. And now it's just endless. I mean, you can, you can um, find points of view all of every sort about any yeah. issue that's happening. And that's, that's what, that's definitely I've learned over this lockdown that I've since used the phone mm -hmm. more and stuff like that. Um, and now it just, you'll never really land anywhere. You just keep going and going until you're exhausted or have had enough or get distracted by something else, I guess. Um, I think that's very that. true. That feeling of like, you just, you're going in circles until you just get tired. And then. Well, I, I, I mean, I, you know, all right. Everyone knows who listens to this podcast that I'm going to, I repeat myself all the time and I'm going to do it again. Like I just, my, <laughs> I keep coming back to my yeah. themes, mm -hmm. the great themes of Frank's life. And mm -hmm. um, I was talking to a colleague about the book I'm actually going to talk to you about. Um, and it was this sense of reading the book Hi, here I go again. But reading the paper book, reading the book itself was a focusing agent for me. Like, and to be honest, for the first time I had an experience because I'm reading a very long book right now. I had the experience of anticipating a an intrusion as I was reading it. Like I subconsciously was wondering why I wasn't getting alerts 
-hmm. from something else. And I, I thought, you're reading a book, Frank. You're reading mm -hmm. a, a printed book. There are no alerts here, which is exactly why you like doing it. And, but I had that mm -hmm. for the first time where I had a sense of vibration inside of me that sort of um, made me think, oh, I should be getting an email alert or something. And it's like, oh, no. But that made me appreciate it even more. And I say that all the time. And I guess I say it's a focusing agent, but it's obviously not always because the distractions are real. But I really do appreciate them more and more. Um, and it also you know, brought up for me about reading very long form books. Um, mm -hmm. Like the book I'm reading is 800 pages and I'm gonna talk about it in installments. I teased you with this before, but we'll get there. But um, I don't know. Um, when you're usually reading these print books, do you tend to read it in like one long session or you normally break it up into smaller sessions? Um, it depends. It depends. Like I was, I was thinking about it. And of course, I think with a long book, um, you feel, or at least I do, like sort of anxious about it. Like, oh, I have to give it all my attention. And also it's, you know, how am I going to manage it? Like, you know, if, if reading a book like over a couple of days or overnight or something that's quick and you could just launch into talking about it, mm -hmm. this actually takes a lot more time. And I haven't really done that in a while. Um, I think I could do either. At first I was like, I reading a small, like little bit each time was working really well. But then I really wanted to read a long, long part mm -hmm. of it because I wanted to really get immersed into it. So I was doing both really. I mean, there really aren't any rules. I, it's just interesting of the anxiety around, or at least about the things we care about, like reading and understanding and then knowing I have to talk about it makes me anxious because I want to be able to be coherent and, and interesting and and get across things I might have thought of or the, the love of the experience. So um, sometimes like my concentration though has been so crazy. And we just talked about other issues of concentration with like, yeah. um, you know, phones and social media and stuff like that. But the uh, renovation at Jefferson Market really is on my mind all, all the time. It's getting closer and it's, there's so much to do that I, I find those thoughts intruding because I care very much about this physical building and, mm -hmm. and um, want to get done what I want to get done. But that's life, you know, all right, it happens. But I, I sort of fantasize about when I can be back in my own office and have the space ready. I mean, the cleaner it gets, the more alive it feels. And it's very exciting. Um, so distractions right now. I mean, the fire alarm's going off behind me. The audio's not that great on this laptop. It's interesting. The construction guys, the construction mm -hmm. guys were singing before and they were listening to the Bee Gees. <laughs> <laughs> like the uh, Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Oh, okay. I, I'm sad oh, I missed oh, that recording. What? I said, I'm sad I missed the um, hearing them singing. I would have liked to like, hear it. How deep is your love? How deep is your love? I really need to learn. Because we're living in a world of fools. Breaking us down when they all should let us be. <laughs> Uh, listeners can't see, but, but Frank brought out the invisible mic, which is always a good time. Oh, I, I did that. <laughs> yes. 
You know, I was thinking I was going to yeah. sing a go-go song because I've been listening to them lately. Mm -hmm. But there we go, Bee Gees. Hey. Mm -hmm. I do. I do feel like what you're saying about the the space of um, Jefferson Market being in this sort of transitional period, something that really resonates because I do feel sometimes like the space around you is a mess. It feels like my mind is a mess too, you know, and it's hard to not be distracted by that and having like a nice space, like my workspace, I put everything into the drawers as much as I can because I feel like that cleaned off space keeps my mind clear and like better able to focus on work, which is yeah. partially why sometimes I hate working from home because it's a cluttered mess. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, quality of attention. Mm -hmm. it's it's a struggle for sure um you know i guess i should but i gotta admit you know there are other places i suppose i could go i i sort of insist on coming here even mm -hmm. with the trouble that you know the renovation. That's it's sort of like a defiance mm -hmm. it's a defiance like i'm to get psychologically you know drill down a little bit it's like a defiant thing. I'm like, this is my library. I'm going to my library and I'm doing what I have to do because it's important. This is what we do. But yet, the, really, the renovation takes precedence right now. And so I, I do stay out of the way and I don't want to impinge, you know, impinge on myself. Like mm -hmm. I found this little closet and I was like, thank God the Wi-Fi is here and I can do it here. Um, you know, it, people are psychologically all over. I mean, if you really think about it, which is, of course, what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> Because my themes, that part of an interesting issue. It's about mm -hmm. like reading a book that you connect with and mm -hmm. then you think, oh, I know what it's about. And then uh, for me, I realize I go, great, I know what it's about and it feels great. And then I suddenly think, or I thought with this book, am I forcing my preferred themes onto this book or is this book mm -hmm. really just happens to be about the stuff that I like to read by luck? Because I always... When I get project. excited about books, which is most of them I've talked to you about, like mm -hmm. I feel like am I forcing my own um, I think we, needs onto the book? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think that is the fun part of reading sometimes. Like it's hard to not project some of our thoughts and wants and desires onto yeah. the books themselves. Um, well, because I, I read, I'm reading Anna Karenina, like mm -hmm. I told you, by Tolstoy, which is a Russian book. Mm -hmm. Um written in 1878 and you know obviously if if you if you're aware of it it's considered a classic it's 800 pages of love life and laughter that's for sure and um i wanted to really read it i've never read it before mm -hmm. and the, the hubbub was about um and it's really good. I'm really impressed. What page are you on currently? Well, that's a great question because I, I'm, I'm like a third of the way through. Okay. It's like mm -hmm. in eight. It's actually called Anna Karenina, a novel in eight parts. So it's okay. I'm like you know, part three. Mm, okay. Um. So and I, it's you know, it's too much to tell in in like one sitting. I think mm -hmm. because I mean it brings up so many interesting questions which I love to contemplate about classics like the length of it like I always think you know books I always say oh books were longer then because in 1878 let's say there was no radio no tv there was like mm -hmm. the books if you didn't get to a theater if you could get to a theater um 
was everything. So you'd have you. It, my interpretation is that you need to, for an author to create a world um, really vividly and interestingly, it would be a, a long, deep dive into it. And maybe now when we read books, we have more of a shorthand of the author mm -hmm. can shorthand certain things because we're so visually sophisticated. Mm -hmm. it, being told stories, stories, stories from streaming shows and multiple episode shows and movies, movies, movies. Um, so it, it requires a patience, but this book, the writing is so good. And, and you can sort of sort of see like early um, manifestations of like soap opera tropes and um, the, 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 the triangulated love stories that we've become used to or, or have seen several times, which maybe people reading this book had. And also like with Dickens, it's like some books were written in installments in magazines that were published mm -hmm. over a year. So when they were collected into a book, they were super long. Um, but it is, it, 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 so that's that. And then it also brings to mind, like, what is a soap opera? Mm -hmm. Like, why does it have a slightly negative connotation or does it? Um, because Anna Karenina, you know, has been, considered high tragedy some people call it a trashy soap opera like a mm -hmm. you know it it at its core has a um those of you like do you let me ask you without you saying it mm -hmm. do you know how Anna Karenina ends basically or do you think you know I think I know right so I, I think a lot of us think we know okay <laughs> but um, am I wrong I'm probably wrong I mean I guess we could say it spoiler alert um she well, should we? I don't know. I guess, I, don't know. I mean, I think, yes. This Okay, spoil, yes, do spoiler. Yes. And I think it's in the culture that Anna Karenina kills herself. Yeah. Throws herself under a train. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you you knew that. So it's like that in part the culture. I knew. Huh? That part I knew, but I think I only knew that because like visually in my head, I think I see the, the actress in the movie doing that. Well, Kira Knightley did a yes. production of it which I want to see after it because mm -hmm. like I really, as I've said before, like to read without knowing a thing about the book I'm getting into. And I, mm -hmm. I actually felt like when I thought of this book, I was like, well, I sort of know it happens. And then I thought, well, it's 800 pages. You don't know everything that happens. You don't know how the author is yeah. writing it. And you just think, you know, I haven't seen any movie versions of it. It's just in the culture mm -hmm. that I knew how it ended. So, or how one character ends the, the title character. So, mm -hmm. um, why did I bring that up? I was talking about soap opera, I guess. Um, so it's been called multiple things like that. And it just made me think about soap operas and um, like on TV and then certain movies that I love that are like high melodrama. And I've talked about mm -hmm. that before too. But like, what is the difference between melodrama and drama? Like something we say is, oh, that's a very serious movie. Mm -hmm. or a serious book and then someone says oh it was fun even though it deals with the same issues like a love story that's gone wrong or i mean i guess do you have any thoughts on that um i don't know like when i think about soap operas and maybe i'm projecting too much onto it i feel like there is this kind of element sometimes of like a misogynistic culture or whatever where it feels mm. like maybe those are stories where that deal with a lot of dramatic things that women go through um or it's like for women or whatever and it's i think treated in a different way where i have read you know like 
thrillers like the the Jack Reacher series where it's a it's a man at, at the forefront but like there's similar levels of ridiculous drama but they're not treated the same way do you know what I mean um so I do wonder about yes. that interplay I think you have a good point because I was thinking about that too like I often think about like the two the, or at least in years past like the twin titans of t- television ratings are like the Super Bowl and the Oscars mm-hmm and one's considered pr- pretty male and the other's sometimes considered female. I mean, and I, I, but yet the Super Bowl is treated to me at least with so much more like cultural importance at the, mm-hmm. like sort of the Oscars, like, you know. And um, I was thinking about that, like, and also how, like, you know, I was reading somewhere recently about a certain university and how it's very predominant how like, I think it was a meme online about a, um, a university's, they showed a picture of the of the university football locker room mm-hmm. and then next side by side to one of the classrooms and the locker room was like lavish and mm-hmm. this classroom was like falling apart. And I think, you know, so much money goes into sports and how important sports are and how much money they do make, I guess. Mm-hmm. So to your point, I think it's interesting. It might be just a primal survival thing of watching sort of, which in essence is like warlike, you know, sports are like competition and who wins and mm-hmm. can be physically challenging. Um, whereas damaging, yeah. The women's province deals with emotions. And so why should emotions, soap operas and such, why should emotions be less interesting to us? Because we're human and those, and I was thinking, I think they scare us more. Mm-hmm. It's easier to punch someone's face than to sort of analyze how you feel. Mm-hmm. or to, to work out how you feel. Well, in theory, it's easier. I mean, it wouldn't be easy for me, but um, you know what I mean? And also I think people are a little embarrassed by their emotions. Yeah. And so they denigrate them. And, you know, so it's like, let's talk about it. It's like, what's to talk about? Let's just go to sleep. <laughs> Which but, actually happens in Anna Karenina. Yeah. That's a very dramatic moment. And one character, and I wrote in my notes, like soap opera trope said, oh, it's late. Let's go to sleep because they couldn't, continue talking about what they were talking about because it was too difficult. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe there's something there because our emotions are all we have, like how we feel. I mean, um, and therefore, and the language we use to, to discuss those emotions and turn that into reality, it's like too hard. And I think soap operas like in a heightened sense, try to work those things out. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the difference between soap opera and like sort of high serious drama is that much, much more happens in soap opera. Like, you know, you can have eight husbands in the course of two years uh, and, you know, be abducted by aliens and have (laughs) all sorts of drama where in the real life, you know, you could go two or three years without not a lot happening, so-called. Not a lot of big stuff. Um, And that's why, like, serious dramas are, like, very contemplative and, like, kitchen table and Mm -hmm. at a window and moving through life and the day-to-day decisions we make. Mm-hmm. Um, so all right <laughs> so there's that and then so Anna Karenina like at the heart of it has this um, triangle love triangle Anna Karenina with Count Vronsky okay. you might have heard that name is the lover mm-hmm. and her husband Alexei Karenine there are a lot of other characters probably at least five or six other major characters at least so far um, 
that follow through. I mean, Anna Karina, the, Karina is like famous for its opening line. Do you remember? You probably know mm -mm. it. It's the um, all happy families are alike, but all unhappy families are very different. Like it's a famous opening line. Okay. Let me get it. Let me get it. <laughs> Let's go get it. Um, ding, 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 ding. All happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Mm -hmm. And it opens with uh, Anna Karenina's brother, who's married to Dolly, who um, are having a marital problem because Dolly found out that her husband, Anna Karenina's brother, mm -hmm. has had an affair with their ex-nanny. <laughs> so there's you walk into this book in marital discord and love problems. And... Anna is introduced by coming to town to sort of see if she can patch things up between her brother and his husband and her and his wife. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's how we introduced to her. But what makes what I realize this book is is has in it that I like, and this is what I said way back about am I putting my own sort of themes onto it? Because I like emotional complexity. I like I like characters who don't do things you think they're gonna do in a complex way, or someone who's set up as one thing reveals other things and like that we all have a lot a huge range in us and if we were fully like present and honest and stuff we would we would have that like not just the good parts of us and i think sometimes the good parts of us are language we've applied to emotions because we really can't handle the bad parts of us or don't want to admit them um and that's what i like what happens in books and it it definitely happens here what i've realized is that the characters as written, like, you know, as I sort of just said, it, it's like this love triangle. And you could say Anna's husband is very businesslike and doesn't want to deal with his emotions. And Anna is like wanting to express all the roiling passions inside of herself. And Vronsky is this charming, possibly uh, not, maybe I'm not there yet. Maybe not the nicest guy, but he's, well, no, he's very nice, very charming very sweet and very actually um, open, but a little bit of a, you know, carouser. So you don't know where that's going to go. But what I'm saying is that you're getting these types, passionate woman, unhappy in her romance, in her love, mm -hmm. in her marriage, but sterile, cold business guy with this charming lover. Mm -hmm. There's this, there's the cliches. But then Tolstoy confounds a lot of that. He contradicts a lot of that. I mean, I wrote a note, that said, um, let me go through my steno pad that has notes on it. Let's see. Um, it be, oh, all right, that's another point, actually. It's, well, it's basically a contradiction that people are contradict themselves and don't understand fully, and I've said this before too, happen, they don't understand fully what's happening to them, which is very, human all of us go through have probably have that feeling every day at least once a day if we really think about it like how do i characterize what's happening to me right this moment like and you search for language and you try to analyze your feelings and then put language to it and see if you figure it out and then even then it's like is that true or and and, and who can decide if it's true except me or mm -hmm. the person feeling it so they it becomes a very confusing thing especially when your emotions are truly ruffled mm -hmm. um so 
Well, there's lots of ways it can go. But I have to say one of my favorite parts, which surprised me in this at least first third of it, was getting inside the mind of Anna's husband, who that cold mm -hmm. business like which person, which you'd think would be um, you know, oh, I get that character, a standard cardboard figure of like sterile, cold husband. That's why she's having an affair. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, that that language I understand. I get it. She's per perfectly warranted to because they don't have a, a love loving marriage. But there was a great part where um, Alexi, the husband, is contemplating what's happening because he goes. Of course, it's society, so and they're mm -hmm. aristocrats, so they go to some party, and you know, Anna's sort of sitting on a sofa with Count Vronsky, tete a tete, talking and society around them at the party are commenting and sort of looking and he's sort of like whatever women talk to other men it's not a big deal and then he thinks how the party room the people in the room itself were sort of like heightening what was happening and he was like oh that concerns me that other people think there's something improprietous going on like there's no there's something wrong and he mm -hmm. he's at home waiting he leaves early from the party waiting for anna to come back and he he in his head contemplates he can't get rid of this emotion this is the thing he's trying to do work he's looking reading his books he's going through his papers but the emotions keep coming up and he doesn't like that feeling because he felt like all right it's okay she can talk to other people he said but society around her were indicating there was something else there that could be embarrassing that could be betrayal mm -hmm. and he can't let go of his feelings even though he doesn't have words for them yet and so his struggle is to deal with these feelings. He doesn't want to feel them. They're very uncomfortable. And so here, let me, let me give you an idea. Alexei was not a jealous man. Jealousy, in his opinion, was insulting to a wife. And a man ought to have trust in his wife. Why he ought to have trust, that is complete assurance that his wife would always love him, he never asked himself. But he felt no distrust because he had trust and told himself that he had to have it. I love that. Like when we we believe in a, something about ourselves, whether it's illusory or not, and we just have to believe it until our emotions maybe tear that apart. But I love that that description and that he just trusted her because he had to. What does that mean? So, it, um, but now though his conviction that jealousy was a shameful thing and that one ought to have trust was not destroyed, he felt that he stood face to face with something illogical and senseless and he did not know what to do. And he continues going on thinking about it and he eventually comes up, which I love this too because we all do this, he comes up with like, you know, her emotions are hers. They're really none of my business. Her emotions are actually her business and religion's business. Like anything that she's going through, she needs to take up with the priest or, or with religion or with God between commune between her and God. It has nothing to do with me, mm -hmm. which is a, a way of putting language on an experience, which we wouldn't do now in, in a romance, possibly one, the other would say, would never say your emotions are your business, not my problem. Now we'd be like, well, tell me about it. Let's talk about it, um, if you could. But of course, that's hard too. But I love how he 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 thinks his way into a place he needs to be. He doesn't want to address his own emotions. He just mm -hmm. just doesn't want to do it. But he's feeling such emotion he can't stop it. So 
he says, um, he's really what he's doing is trying to seek a way to get out of it, but yet feel like he's morally right or ju just in his decision. So when he's like, oh yeah, 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 her emotions really are her business, not mine. Mm -hmm. I really don't have to ask her about them. And she should take it up with God. I mean, it's religious. It's something she has to handle herself. And then he's like, oh, great. And there's even a line that says he felt relieved and that he found that he found the legitimate category for this newly arisen circumstance, meaning the possible romance his wife's having with Vronsky. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's like how many times I've gone through that where I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if I just do this, this, and this. Oh, and then I feel such relief because I feel like I put it in a, in a box mm -hmm. that makes sense. And that is right. And then, of course, three days later, four days later, five days later, it blows up in your face because you really wasn't the right place to put it in the first place. You weren't facing it. Mm -hmm. That humanity. So I guess what I said about soap opera, it's like Anna's husband is not just this cardboard figure of stern unlovingness. He's like a, mm -hmm. a hustling character with his own emotions. And, and though you may not like him for it, because there is a coldness to him, but he, clearly it's written as like he's feeling uncomfortable and unhappy because of these emotions. Mm -hmm. He doesn't really, it's not that he doesn't know how to talk about them. He doesn't want to. Mm -hmm. It's too much. And I, maybe there's more there, but as I move on, but I don't know. Um, so that's really just one thing. There's so much that goes on in this book, but it's the core of it. And I love that these characters contradict themselves, or at least they struggle to find language to fit their emotions. And we shall say, I mean, Anna herself, I'll just say finally, in mm -hmm. that um, she's interestingly portrayed because she is not given motives. I mean, I don't think she's created being created as a cipher or a mystery to, to be like sort of like feminine glamour. Mm -hmm. I think it's just to show our emotions come from places we don't even know. You, when you think about it, there is no reason why you don't know explicitly why she embarks on an affair with this guy. Okay. She's presented as very like lo loving and loved and pretty and nice and sort of like a cool gal and she's fine. And then suddenly she swirls into this like relationship and you really don't know why. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting thing. It's almost like she's possessed. And there is a line at the end of one chapter that said, you know, she was. It, when I said before, like, let's go to bed, we can't talk about this anymore with her husband. She goes to bed, but her eyes are wide open. She can't fall asleep. And it says her eyes shined in the darkness and she could, almost as if she could see her own eyes herself. Like she was almost outside of her eyes, looking at her passionate shining eyes. And it suggested some sort of possession. And um, another character even calls her, who, who loves her, calls her something almost demonic in her mm -hmm. um, energy, that there's something that exudes off of her sometimes that feels unexplainable and heightened. So it's almost like she's, maybe that's why her character is persisted because you don't get reasons for why she does what she does. She is, she's a almost pure emotion and without any kind of understanding, like herself or the reader, like you're just like, hmm, why does she do this when you think about it? You want to believe in like passionate love, but then you realize you don't, she, she doesn't get an explanation yet. Mm -hmm. at least. I didn't say that the way I wanted to, but there it is. So I, geez, I went on forever as usual. So Anna Karenina, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it more as I finish it. Uh, probably two more sessions, maybe. Yeah. Um, makes sense. And I'm sure I'll be revisiting these themes over and mm -hmm. over and over. 
same over and over. I mean, I, I will say like listening to you talk about the book has, like it makes me want to read it partially because um, I did read, it's the same author, right? Toy Stories, um, War and Peace, like uh-huh. when I was really young. Um, I believe I was like bribed into reading it by my parents. <laughs> like they gave me money to do so. And I was like, all right, I'll do this. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I do recall like some of the descriptions of the characters in particular as being like really fascinating. The, the war parts for me at the time as a teen, it was like very impenetrable. But I still recall like the description of one of the female characters, the way he like described her like mouth and the way it pulled down and all that kind of stuff. And so this seems like it would be an interesting book for me to to get into. I will say, um, I do want to mention that I have started a book. This is not the one I've prepared for the podcast, but the book I did start reading last night is called Anna K. <laughs> what? Oh wait, did you you did it because I was reading this or you did it? So so I'm gonna go on a on a parallel journey with you. <laughs> wow. And this book, Anna K, is a young adult retelling of Anna Karenina by Jenny Lee. It came out in 2020. So it's really fascinating to hear you describe some of this stuff because there are these uh, equivalent characters. Like I'm very early on in the book right now. Like I have not gotten very far at all. It's set in Manhattan, by the way, in Greenwich, I think specifically, um, at contemporary times. And there's like the brother's name is Steven, his girlfriend, Lolly. And now you're talking about the Well, the the brother's name is Steven and and Anna Karenina and her... (laughs) And Dolly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is like really delighting me because I was not familiar with the original novel at all. But like here, this, I'm like, oh, this is like a really close following of it. Wow. I'm only a few chapters in. It's it's really interesting to me just because um, as this YA book, uh, Anna Kay, and then the second book came out uh, called Anna Kay Away. And I think in the first book, there's like three parts. Um, I'm not sure about Anna Kay Away. So I wonder if it's like a trilogy, possibly. Huh. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of YA books um, that I have read, it's a very immediate connection with the protagonist. It's usually in first person. Sometimes there's like rotating POVs between like two main protagonists. And this one, I think, is seems like it's true so far to the original. And there's a very distant kind of narrative voice uh, with Anna, right, where she has not really shown up yet um it's it's focused on the brothers so far and it it's going to be very interesting i think to continue reading this as you read yours um and kind of connect it to the young adult genre where i feel like that distant narrative third person voice is maybe like less common um and also i have no idea how they will do the ending maybe it'll change maybe it won't how faithful it's going to be so that's that's the an adventure i'm looking forward to (laughs) So when you're reading about the brother, because he does open the book in mm-hmm. Tolstoy's original version, and you, he's very much prominent. Mm-hmm. Um, how is he presented? Because it's like he's had the affair with the nanny and the, his wife, Dolly, or Lolly in your version? Lolly, yeah. <laughs> he's very upset and like, I can't be in this marriage and I have to leave. It's betrayal. It's been betrayal. And they have kids. And, and Steva is... And his brother, who's having the, who had the affair, mm-hmm. is just like, oh, 
oh darn it it was just a nothing thing and, and it's sort of just like this guy focusing on other things again not on his emotions and stuff not really analyzing himself just sort of like why is there such a kerfuffle for this he he, he has the same kind of feeling to him i think like even the first page it talked about how um I don't know. It was like Lolly and his anniversary. He sent her these like eggplant emojis. So it's like very current. I don't know. It's eggplant really interesting. Emoji? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but I just like. Well, it's, I, oh, it's, so it's set in present day. And it's not no, it's, in it's Russia. Set, no, no, it's no. It's set in present day said. Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. So I. And it also makes me think about what you said originally about how. Um, uh, something about like I, I guess like the maybe visual signifiers or something are different for us in present day. There's there's a lot of like um, what's the words? Shorthand for us, right? Like for us, eggplant emojis is shorthand for like all this other stuff. Where I think um, it allows uh, writers now to be in some ways like less descriptive um, because we kind of already I don't know. Anyways, that was interesting. That's, no, that's I a prepared. good point though, because that's what I was talking about before about shorthand about how we're so saturated in visual imagery and storytelling in so many yeah. different forms of media. And I wonder photography, yeah. if mm -hmm. even the writers themselves who want to write, their thing is to write, can feel they can do a shorthand because we're so familiar cinematically with things and now social media wise. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because sometimes like, you, you can glaze over uh, read well. You can always glaze over reading because reading requires concentration. Um, but there's certain things, like you said before, a war and peace um, in Anna Karenina, like the politics of the time, can elude you because they were so prominent then that. Mm -hmm. And now you might sort of struggle to figure out what exactly was happening because I figured out that at one point, thanks to footnotes, actually, um, this is just after the serfs, like slaves of Russia, were were emancipated. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of discussion about what work would look like mm -hmm. now, which is a very interesting topic. I mean, that's a whole other thing that's happening in this book with another character named Levin, um, which I know will appear in your version too, because he's really prominent. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's having his own romantic issues, which are actually very well done, uh, which I didn't even get to. But wait, so this Anna Kay was not even the book you were going to talk about today? No, or what? <laughs> it wasn't oh, this book. Oh, you can't even see it because my background is erasing it. Wait, hold on. No. Can is I... that the Anna Kay book? No, no. This is uh, so the, the book, book you I read, read is Either Or by Ellis. Uh, what is it? Wait, just say it again. I'm sorry. It's called Either's, Either Or, so Either Slash Or um, by Ellis Batuman. Have you heard of that author? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. This is not YA. This is adult. This is an adult book, yes. Yeah. But I also feel like it's kind of weirdly connected because the protagonist is going to school and is going through her syllabus, and a lot of that involves like Russian literature as well, including uh -huh. Anna Karenina. Um, so this this book is um, I don't think I was aware of it at the time, but it is a sequel to The Idiots, which came out in 2017-ish. It is like a Pulitzer Prize nominee, um, Women's Prize for Fiction nominee. Uh, this one's going to come out in May of this year. There is like, uh, it is in our collection where you could, people can put themselves on hold for it. But it is a part two to to The Idiot, which I, again, did not realize, but I think it's totally fine as a, a standalone. Um, so let's see. I wrote a bunch of notes in it. 
so I'll give you like a quick summary of the first book of The Idiots. It's set in 1995. Uh, Celine is a daughter of Turkish immigrants and is starting at Harvard, where she meets another student, Ivan, who's from Hungary. And at the end of the year, she goes to Hungary, then France, and it's, it's essentially like a journey of like self-discovery and self-invention, which again, I missed all that entire story because I, I did not read The Idiot. But in the second book, uh, Celine's story continues, and then she's back in America at Harvard. It's a year later, and she's trying to make sense of her life and her experience in Hungary, which I think kind of relates to what you were saying, too, about um, this idea of like the characters really trying to figure out like the meaning of life and their place in it. Um and oh yeah so she's trying to make sense of her life and her experience in Hungary and her relationship with Ivan and throughout the book she's drawing all of these parallels to classical novels where women are often abandoned right and working through those ideas I think in kind of a defiance of that trope for herself um I will say this book is like really dense I think it's 400 pages or so and it's one where I feel like as I gain distance from it, I, I like like it more and more um, because it's so dense. I think sometimes there are moments where I feel like disconnected from it. And then there are other moments where it just like pulls you back in. Uh, there's a lot of great sort of serious philosophical thinking as again, um, Celine is kind of working through all of these ideas, but that's also like undercut with these moments of humor that kind of help like break it up as well. And the other thing about this book and, I think in my initial reading of it, um, I did kind of encounter maybe my own sort of, I want to say like bias. Um, because the form of it, I feel like is less traditional, right? And um, it reminded me of this book. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's called Meander, Spiral, and Explode, Design and Pattern and Narrative by Jane Allison. Wow. Um, it's an interesting book. It's a fun book. But in the book, uh, the idea is presented that like the the dominant narrative structure, right, is very uh, as as is described by Allison, masculosexual. <laughs> so it Masculo. has this, like, masculosexual is the term that's used, but because it has this like exposition, rising action, you have a climax, falling action, and denouement, right. Um, and I feel like there is this kind of meandering quality of this book that is not something that I'm like necessarily used to. And I had to like get out of that headspace because you're like, oh, it just kind of like wanders in some ways. Mm. But it is a book that I feel like it makes you have to slow down, right? Because I, I feel like I rushed the reading. You're, 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 you're kind of racing towards this action usually, yeah. right? Waiting for that climax to happen. And this book doesn't really do that. And so you have to go slower and sort of like meander with it. And that was challenging for me, but also ultimately like worth it. I also think this is a book um, like where the you know, you get engrossed in it because you get like, I get like really frustrated with the protagonist who's like sometimes really foolish, sometimes really naive, but you also find that person, especially as a woman, like really relatable to who's like trying to find her way in the world and maybe like really overthinking some things, um, a lot overthinking some things. Um, and I also think this is a book too, especially with people who have a lot of experience with different like classic literature will get a lot out of. And I think for me, the challenge was um, 
there's so many books that I reference in it. There was a, a user on Goodreads who like listed all the books and it's a long list. It's like Baudelaire to Virginia Woolf, um, Toy Story, Shakespeare, um, Ishiguro, like so many references. Wow. And I think it's a book that like, if you are very familiar with that kind of classical literature, you will like absolutely 100% love this book. I think my familiarity with it is a little bit more limited. So I, I can definitely see this book is like, if I were to go and read Anna Karenina, I would want to come back and reread this book because I think it would help inform my understanding of it even more. But overall, it was like super enjoyable. So I would definitely recommend it. Okay, you mentioned three books, the Anna Kay one, that was mm -hmm. that, and then the um, the Meander one. Yeah, but that was in support of this book. Right. <laughs> I read and that years this, ago. This book is, okay, it's also, yeah, okay. No, it's just they're all bubbling in my head because it's sort of interesting. The Meander one was about, like, literary criticism, really. Like, oh, about structure. Yeah, the structure of narrative. It's, like yeah, a, yeah. it's a short book. It's kind of fun. I, I don't know if I, like, necessarily agree with, like, everything in it, but I think it was a book where I, like, had never thought about narrative forms in that way before as a layperson, yeah. and... um. I appreciate how accessible it was. So I, I enjoyed it. Well, that is interesting. I always think I, I hope to find out on my own about structure and stuff, but it's hard because I also tend to want to force every action a character does into meaning. Like that, you know, if a woman or a character walks into a thunderstorm, then that thunderstorm has to represent, mm -hmm. and her, her place in it has to represent something emotional, mm -hmm. you know? and and which seems to me could be very reductive in a way. Like I, just to sort of do like, oh, A equals B, like, you know, emotional cataclysm is always represented by something external. And I don't, that's a very movie thing in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe I bring that to it, which I don't want to do. That's when I sort of tried to relax a little bit with Anna Karen and I realized, oh, they are contradictory. And then mm -hmm. I realized, they're up to themselves like their own emotions are and analyses of same are contradictory and jump around mm -hmm. like i had mentioned before that the husband um when he decides like oh it's her business her affair her emotions i'm just going to be a guide i'm going to be the, the man and just say darling this didn't look well at the party you need to to um pull it in and and talk to to clergy and um but then later he he gets really nervous about saying that. Like he feels like there's something else there. Like a, there's emotions there that he that are still forcing at him that he hasn't dealt with, and it, it's it impinges on that resolution. So he's conflicted, and I like that. Mm -hmm. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> See the people I, walking down the street. I actually watching other bees. They don't know where they want to go. They're walking in time. Because we got the beat. We got the beat. We got the beat. Yeah. We got the After you read Anna Karenina, I feel like you should read this book. After I read what? Anna Karenina, what? Uh huh. I feel like you should read this book. I know it sounds so interesting. Wait, I can't even show it. Why is the Google Meet background? I don't okay, know. there we go. It's all messed up. There is a character that was mentioned that I thought was going to loom larger, but hasn't yet. But again, I'm only a third of the way through. Mm -hmm. um, named Varenka. Mm. She's like a companion to an older lady, 
and she seems very mysterious. I, my, she might just be dropped. I don't know. I mean, that happens in sagas with multiple characters. But at first, I was like, who is she? I don't know if I trust her. Anyway, we'll see. I'll have to see if there's an equivalence in Anna Kay. There yeah, that's why I was bringing it up, because I was like, I wonder if this author... Well, like we read um, oy, the Vaux book. The Vaux. About Jordan Baker and Great, Great Gatsby. Oh, oh, yep, 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 yep. The beautiful, what is it? The beautiful and the chosen and the beautiful. The chosen and the beautiful. And she took a supporting so-called character from Great Gatsby mm -hmm. and made a central figure, which that's why I was mentioning Varenka. If if um if it jarred something in your map in your mind about you just started reading this one. Though. Oh yeah, I just started it. Okay. I just had that last idea night. last night. <laughs> I was like, you know what? This will be great. Oh, you're, you're sneaky. <laughs> I can read along. You're a sneaky lady. <laughs> All right. Tarot card me. All right, Chrissy. Oh, we're gonna have the producer pull a card. I, my my deck is somewhere. Where it is. Where is she? She's mm -hmm. snoozing. She's taking a break. <laughs> no, definitely not snoozing. Um, she's going to pull a card for us, and this is going to basically indicate. All right, we. What do you think, Crystal? This will be the. This Our will be, fortune for the next two weeks, right? Is that what? All right, that okay. That's a, so a heck of a long. Fortune. I was going to say just for today. Yeah, just for today. Oh, just for today. Okay. Well, you is, know, we'll this see. This is basically going to determine the rest right. of our day, Crystal and me. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, my cards are a mess. Okay. Um, don't knock the cards. Don't knock the cards or not. No, no, you should, you should knock the cards to clear of bad energy. Yeah. Oh. I don't all know. Right. They're not all in the right direction. That's okay. All right. Somewhere, somebody, somebody tell me, give me a general direction. Um, this is my left hand. All right. All the way to your Let's say as far right as you can pull a card. How's that, Crystal? Is that all right? Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Okay. Okay. It is the, for, if we're pulling it for you guys, it's the right side or correct facing seven of cups. So seven of cups. Hold on. I have, I have it already. Do you have your little side book? I feel like we. Did we ever get seven of cups before? Didn't I? Yeah, we've gotten cups before. Okay. Let's see. Wow. So the Seven of Cups says, if it's upright, my, my internet, yes, it was upright for you guys. Okay. Uh, opportunities, choices, wishful thinking, and illusion. So, wow. oh my gosh, says, the Seven of Cups is a card of new opportunities, choices, and at times illusion. When the Seven of Cups appears in a tarot reading, you have many options and opportunities from which you can choose, but be careful. You're prone to illusion and unrealistic ideals. An opportunity with promises of more money, more fame, or more power may sound appealing. But as you look deeper into what is on offer, you may realize it's not everything it's cracked up to be. Your ego may pull you in a specific direction, but it's important you check in with your higher self first. Evaluate your options and dig below the surface to discover what's involved with each choice. Um, well, you may find that your ideas are not grounded in reality. Your plans might sound fabulous in your imagination, but when it comes to implementing them, you may realize that you have work in the real world. I mean, <laughs> so, I have fame, and that's I, that's already taken care of. But um, <laughs> that does so re totally relates to what I was saying before mm -hmm. about the frustration of the renovation and the decisions, because mm -hmm. one of my issues is like 
I want total control. Mm-hmm. And I have to work with other people in terms of this renovation, other departments who know more than I do, like facilities wise. Um, but I feel like my vision is the one that should be manifested. And I do wonder if it's illusory, like well, if I'm missing Frank. information that could be harming me. And my ego is certainly definitely mm-hmm. playing a part. That's a, it says that the, the seven of cups is a sign of shiny object syndrome. When you keep finding mm-hmm. the next big thing, but you fail to see any new opportunities, this card is inviting you to move out of the ideas and options phase and to choose. Yeah. Choices, which is also Anna Karenina because people are mm-hmm. tussling with their emotions and have to choose how they exactly feel. And that's tough. Also that uh, the husbands were talking about like that idea of like illusion and choice that exactly. he was facing. I think that's very relevant. And that's the card. It's yeah. a, mo- it's a modern deck. It's a woman choosing seven mm-hmm. ice creams. I think I'm on this <laughs> same website, Biddy Tarot. Biddy Tarot, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this paragraph cool. really resonated with me. You may find that your ideas are not grounded in reality. Your plans might sound fabulous in your imagination, but when it comes to implementing them, you may realize they do not work in the real world. And I will say, in the past couple of weeks, I have thought about changing my career to being either an international DJ or a Bitcoin millionaire. <laughs> and I'm like, this is clearly telling me that those are not... Good if you look lower, it's well, shiny object syndrome. Shiny you know, object syndrome. that can go multiple ways because, like, I actually am thinking of Karenine and his husband, and that mm-hmm. there is a passage that I was going to read that actually describes how he he really sort of creates an artificial life or artificial reality for himself because he cannot face his he cannot handle his own emotions, and then it goes on to say how life itself and Tolstoy keeps saying mm-hmm. life itself crashes into him and that leaves him bewildered and he wants to sort of create these these delusions that can carry him through um oh dear i was gonna say something so are you calling me delusional no or are you you telling me Um, that i should pursue oh international djing but in terms of me and my struggles with the with the renovation and manifesting my own ego and then what chrissy just read um about um about making choices and also being careful of the shiny object thing. Sometimes you butt up against someone else's delusion and someone else's illusory problem that can make one feel you're the one that's having having the illusion. Almost gaslit to use Mm -hmm. the term these these days. You know what I mean? Like it might not be your illusory problem. You it might be someone who's presenting themselves Mm -hmm. as real, but is actually, suffering from that illusion which is also part of your own consciousness and your responsibility to make a choice to to fight or Mm -hmm. to deal with um so that's really the struggle sometimes is like am i being reasonable like am i Mm -hmm. being or like see after my long experience in the library my feeling is that anything can be anything can be done and i feel like anything i want to do by definition is somewhat related to really pushing forward the the mission of the library so i can't be wrong (laughs) I'm not illusory. <laughs> this went on quite, quite a journey. Okay. A journey. Yes. Maybe uh, the producer darling should read uh, the tarot thing. That was sort of nice having an outside voice tell, talk to mm-hmm. both. I'm, I'm okay with, with uh, delusions of grandeur and fame. According I like to it, exactly. I like how I'm she's okay stepping with into the spotlight, nudging me aside, which is unacceptable. 
<laughs> I am only <laughs> trying to make that this card was cautioning us against these illusions of grandeur, and both of y'all are just speaking right down. into it. <laughs> I'm doubling down and brightening the spotlight. <laughs> okay. As I look into the light. Mm. Oh dear. I need to take it down a thousand. <laughs> well, that was exciting. Anna Karenina all over the place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Crystal's like taking a moment. What are you doing? You're looking very almost judgy. I mean, I, I mean, this card is telling me that I need to puncture all my delusions, and that's, oh. that's a hard lesson. <laughs> You're contemplating. Yeah, tell me about it. All right, the rest of the day, let's just take a pin and puncture our, our illusions one by mm -hmm. one. So we are yes. nothing and can't even function. Okay, great. Thanks, Chrissy. Play <laughs> time. Okay. All right, let's cut this thing. Oh, thank you, everybody, for listening along with us. Listening along with us. Listening to us. Um, till the next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Librarian is In, a podcast by the New York Public Library. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, or send us an email at podcasts at nypl.org. For more information about the New York Public Library, please visit nypl.org. We are produced by Christine Farrell. Your hosts are Frank Hilarious and Crystal Chen.